Well, good evening. I uh, talk about you all a lot because I think you're going to change the world. That's, other than that, I don't think you'll do much. So uh, I do believe big things. I'm watching, uh, I have the privilege to travel nationally, and I'm watching God do some pretty good things with young people, like some big things. And uh, I don't know how much you realize the kind of plans God has for you and your group of friends, but I think it's going to be big. I'd love to chat more about that, but Brendan only gives me an hour, so we've got to get into the teaching, and I really, really want to share a story with you tonight. Uh, when, I, when I tell you a little bit about the story, you'll think, I've heard that story. I, start over on this story with me. If you've been to church a little bit, you've heard about a guy named Job, but I don't know that you've heard the story of Job. Because when I finally, after kind of hearing it for years, finally understood it, it has wrecked my life in a real deep way. So if you've heard about Job, a story in the Bible about a guy who had really bad stuff happen and sort of persevered and we need to have steadfast faith or something along those lines, yeah, that's kind of there, but that's not really the story. I want you to start over with me. Just start over with me fresh. I'm going to share it with you. It's a big story and we don't have an hour, so it, it's something I'm going, to sh I'm going to read a little bit of and, and fill in some gaps by telling a bit of it, and then when we get to the end of the story, and read right at the very end, I think you'll get it, because I finally did, and holy cow, uh, has it wrecked my life. So start with me in a story about a man named Job. It's a story God makes sure is in the Bible, because he wants to reintroduce himself to people who haven't heard right things about him. He wants to reintroduce himself to people who have gone through some crap and aren't sure why God would either bring it or allow it. And he wants, by introducing himself, to change the people who know him in ways that will again introduce him to more and more people. So let's just start Job 1.1. I'm just going to read and tell some of it. I got a tiny Bible, so I'll take these glasses on and off. But in the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God, shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoga oxen and 500 donkeys and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they'd invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he'd sacrifice a burnt offering for them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. So let me kind of break this down, kind of what the author's trying to point out in the intro. First, he's saying, hi, I want to introduce Job. He's really, really rich. That's basically what he's saying. This is the agricultural era, right? And he, it lists all kinds of livestock. And he's just blessed beyond means. He's, he's so blessed he has 10 kids. I don't know how blessed that really is, to be honest, but whatever. That's the point, right? He's like really stinking blessed, really rich. But then in that second paragraph, it talks about how 
how much he honored God. Like when his kids would throw a party, he thinks, maybe, maybe they sinned, I should offer a sacrifice for them. And he, he, he just does all these things to make sure he's on God's good side. And, you're, and, and if you're reading this in Job's day, you're thinking, okay, everything's as it should be. A guy fears and honors God, like he minds his P's and Q's perfectly, right? Like he's got it going on, he's super obedient, and as a result, he's really blessed. And this is the way that God was understood in Job's day. And to be honest, if we're being honest, this can be the way and is often the way God is understood in our day. Like, like, like the myth exists, of course, currently that obedience is about trying to get from a stingy God his blessing and all that kind of stuff. Well, God kind of breaks that down. And if you read the next chapter and a half, God shares some insight. He sets up a story. He allows Satan to challenge Job and his relationship. God says, uh, have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, I've seen him. God says, have you noticed how upright and righteous he is? And Satan says, of course he is. You give him everything. He's like, I don't know, Job thinks of you as like a celestial Santa Claus type thing. And yeah, he's good. Yeah, he honors you, but it's because you bless him. If you take away the blessing, he won't honor you. And so God says, because this is how God's setting up the story for generations to read, he says, okay, take it all away. Take it all away. And if you know the story, Satan takes it all away. First, he loses all of his wealth. Then his kids die in a tragic accident. And he takes it all away. And we read at the end of that first part, it says, you know, Job was mourning and at great loss, but he doesn't curse God. He doesn't turn from God. He stays steadfast. And then Satan comes back and God says, have you seen? You took it all away and he still honors me. And uh, Satan says, well, you didn't let me touch him. You didn't let me touch his body. Let me touch his body. And then he'll curse you. And God says, okay. And so Satan curses Job in such a way that we're told he has sores from the tip of his head to the bottom of his toes. We don't know exactly, probably with some form of leprosy, an incredibly painful, open sore situation that caused just devastation and always led to death is the idea. So Job is in this state, and if you read there, if, if you read through this sometime, you'll see at the end of this, it said uh, his wife, Job's wife, comes to him and says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. When, if someday you get married <laughs> and your spouse tells you to curse God and die, you might want to see a marriage counselor, Okay. It's not going well. Your life needs some change, some transformation probably. And this is the situation Job finds himself in. And then it says, uh, Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, Zophar the Namathite, heard about the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. 
They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes. They sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. This is called setting shiva. It was a Jewish tradition. It's an ancient tradition that when somebody's experiencing enormous loss, friends would gather around. They'd do a whole bunch of stuff. They'd tear their clothes. They'd put ashes. They usually shave their head. They'd, do, they, they'd put ashes on. They'd do all this stuff, and they'd just sit for seven days, and nobody would speak. And this is, this is what... Uh, this is what Job's three friends do. For seven days, they just sat with him. At the end of those seven days, chapter 3 says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, May the day of my birth perish, and the night it was said a boy is born. May it, may it be cursed. Job's careful not to curse God directly, but now he's cursing something God made, and he's starting He's starting to lose control of the God is good, God is great persona, right? Starting to not to understand a God who would allow this to happen. And he just, I won't read the whole thing, but he starts to curse lots of things about life and starts to let go of all these kind of things. His three friends feel like they have to stick up for God. They have to defend God's honor. Here you are. You're not cursing God directly, but you're charging him with wrong a bit here, and you're cursing some stuff. And Job, Job, wait, 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 Job. Here We know why people suffer. We know why people suffer, and they begin to give their opinion on why people suffer. And I'm going to read uh, each, of, each of their arguments. There's three of them. And I'm going to read, I'm going to summarize each of their arguments. Eliphaz, the first friend, he says, Job, this is verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, Consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. He says, Job, you had it coming. You sowed this seed. You sinned. You had it coming. You deserve it. Just admit it. And Job, Job's response is... Uh, Guys, I, I don't think so. I've examined myself, and I don't think so. So the next friend uh, digs in in chapter 8. Here's Bildad. Bildad says, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right? When your children sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Said Job, your kids died because your kids had it coming, and you suffered for their sin." And I'll tell you, as a parent, rightly or wrongly, when somebody accuses my kids, right, of, of, of wrongdoing, something happens inside of me, and that same thing happened inside of Job. If you want to read a, a real meltdown chew-out in the Bible sometime, read Job's response to Bildad, where he assures Bildad that, no, my kids did not have it coming. And it gets semi-violent, so chapter 11 talks about uh, Zophar and Zophar's response. Here's Zophar's response in chapter 11. He says, Job, if you devote your heart to him and you stretch out your hands to him, that's God, if you put away the sin that's in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you'll lift up your face without shame. You'll stand firm without fear. And, and, and basically saying the same thing, right? Job, you had it coming. 
If, you, if you'll just admit it, you're denying your own sin. If you'll admit it, all this will start to turn around for you. God's punishing you for your sin. Uh, listen to Job's response in chapter 12. I love this. He says, uh, doubtless you three are the people and wisdom will die with you. <laughs> Everyone to say that to somebody like you? Sure. You have all wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. I never thought of that. And that's basically what he's saying. Like, yeah, yeah, when you three die, nobody wise will live anymore ever again. You've got all the answers, don't you? And this is essentially what he's saying. Job is a bit on the sarcastic side all throughout this. Job's a wonderful guy. Anyway, verse 3. But I have a mind as well as you, he says. I'm not inferior to you. Who doesn't know these things? Like, I've, I've gone to the same Sunday school class. I've heard that stuff. I even taught people that stuff. I get that. I get all those cliche religious answers. I got to pile those too, guys. But that isn't what happened here. I didn't do squat. Squat's my word. That's not in Job. But you know what I mean, right? Like, I, I, I didn't, that's, that's not the deal. And, and he continues to talk. We'll, we'll go to, uh, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to read you some examples of what he has to say. Like in chapter 19, he says to three guys, he says, How long will you tor me, torment me and crush me with your words? Ten times now you've reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it's true that I've gone astray, that my sin, my error remains my concern alone, if indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know this, guys, know this. He says, God has wronged me. Though, I've, though I cry I've been wronged, I get no response from him. Though I call for help, there is no justice from this God. And he just keeps this going. Chapter 23, listen to this. He says, if I, Job, if I, if I knew where to find him, if I knew where to find God, if only I could go to where he lives, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments, and I would find out how he would answer me. This is, this is ancient phraseology for saying what we would say, in our, I want to sue God. This is what he's literally saying. I, I want to file a lawsuit. I want to put him on the witness stand. I want to sue God because what he's doing is wrong. I want to bring a case against him. This goes on, but be careful when you challenge God to a lawsuit because God does show up, and that's when the story gets even more interesting. God understands the whole thing that's been going on. He's watching the conversation with the three friends. And in chapter 8, 38, not chapter 8, we're way past that. I hope it didn't freak you out that we were only chapter 8. Chapter 38, God shows up. And I want to read a little bit about what God has to say. Fascinating. It starts, chapter 38 starts this way. It says, the Lord answered Job out of the storm. So first, God's just cool, by the way. First, he brings a massive storm. There's just a massive storm. And then out of the storm, there's this voice. And it's quite a voice, okay? It says, out of the storm, God answers Job. And he starts this way. He says, 
Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Job, brace yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off his dimension? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or, 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 or what were its footings set on? Or who laid the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Were you there when I created everything? Do you have all wisdom, Job? Okay, okay. Typically now, when this is taught, it's taught this way. Job doesn't understand the whole picture, challenges God to a lawsuit. God shows up and says, who do you think you are? Do you know everything? I know lots of stuff you don't know. You don't have all wisdom, right? And there is some of that. There is, there is this sense that when we follow God, we don't have all the answers. We, we, we operate at... at with a lack of knowledge, definitely compared to God. There is some of that. And part of, part of following this God is trusting him when you don't have all the answers. So, so there is a bit of truth in that understanding, but, but that's, not, that's not what God's trying to say here. That's not the point. Let me, let me try to explain now the, the response that God has in a way that I have come to understand and, and I think, I think will revolutionize maybe your even understanding of God. He, he, he goes through this explanation God does, his response to Job, and he starts to tell some stories by, by asking some questions. So, for instance, he says to Job in chapter 39, he says, Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied his ropes? I gave him the wasteland as his home, the salt flats as his habitat. He laughs at the commotion in town. He does not hear a driver shout. Like, what's God talking about a donkey for? Let's, let's think through this. Job lives in a very agricultural community where everything needs to have a purpose from an agricultural perspective. So donkeys were like work animals, but what frustrated the people of Job's time is that there was these wild donkeys that they couldn't catch. And they would just live out there. And, and, and it seemed like that, that they got just enough rain to live and survive and have grass. And it's, it's, they, they would pray for rain and they would pray that God would water their pastures. And if they were really good and they sacrificed and did everything just right, like God would rain their pastures in their pastures and their livestock would be great. But then they'd look around and there'd be a wild donkey out there and it got rain too. And they hated that. They actually tried, all these animals we're going to talk about, they tried to get rid of them, tried to get rid of them. And, and God says, uh, wait a minute. Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied his ropes? Who made, who, who made wild donkeys? He says, I gave him the wasteland as his home. He laughs at the commotion of the town. He does not hear a driver shout. You guys can't tame him, can you? I love him. I take care of him. That's just who I am. This would have confused them because they assumed God only blessed like a quid pro quo, Right? God only blesses if you really sacrifice and then he blesses. Well, he goes on, God does. This is my favorite one, I think. Uh, chapter 39, he says, The wings of an ostrich flap joyfully, but they cannot compare to the pinions and the feathers of the stork. 
She, the ostrich, lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain. God says, Job, have you seen the ostrich? Dumbest animal I ever made. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. I did not endow her with a share of wisdom. He said, no, she's pretty dumb. And easily the worst mom on planet earth. Have you watched? She just lays her eggs and then just walks away and lets people, let every other animal trample them. Doesn't even try to hide them. Doesn't even strategically place them. Horrible mom. Horrible mom. Yeah. Job, have you watched the ostrich run? Have you, have you seen? He, he says, uh, she cares not that her labor was in vain, but because God did not endow her with wisdom or, or give her a share of good sense, yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at the horse and rider. Says, Job, have you watched her run? I love to watch her run. You have these horse races? <laughs> I made a bird that can outrun all those things. Love the ostrich. Now, you got to understand this again. In Job's day, the ostrich was not highly valued, like was not thought well of. We still have, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but we still have a saying about the ostrich today that came from that day. Like they were not impressed with the ostrich, and God's saying, I love the ostrich. Why? Not because he's smart. No, she's pretty dumb. Oh, good mom. No, she's a horrible mom. Have trouble keeping the species alive. But, oh, Job. Oh, I love to watch her run. Oh, I love, have you seen how magnificent she is? Oh, she's amazing. He goes on. He goes on. I, I could share so many examples. We don't have time. But in, like in, in chapter 40, he says, Job, uh, he says, look at the behemoth. Now, we don't know exactly what the behemoth was. Uh, we, we know it was a very large, like, elephant, rhinoceros kind of an animal, but we don't know for sure what the behemoth was. We don't have whatever it was now. But, he's, but, but here's what we do know, that in Job's day, the behemoth was hated, and they were desperately trying to make it extinct because it had no strategic value at all to people. It, 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 it ate tons of their pasture, they couldn't. It was too strong to kill. They didn't really have weapons to kill it. They, they did everything they could to get rid of it. It was this big, huge animal that they really just couldn't do much about, and they hated the behemoth, easily the most hated animal in Job's day. Listen, listen to what God says about it. He says, Look at the behemoth which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. What strength he has in his loins. What power in the muscles of his belly. His tail sways like cedar. The sinews of his thighs are close-knit. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like rods of iron. He ranks first among the works of God. He says, Job, have you seen the behemoth? I think that's the best thing I ever made. And Job and his free three and like, what? Oh, yeah, the behemoth. Have you seen the loins on that thing? Like, What? God is talking about behemoth loins? What kind of God is this? Behemoth loins? This is where we're at? What, how does this introduce what? But they're starting to get something. And we're going to see in a minute that Job gets something. You see, God is starting to communicate here 
you've got me wrong. And you got this whole thing wrong. I love for no reason at all. It's just who I am. There's no strategic thing about this. There's no quid pro quo. I just, you got to know, that's just who I am. I love donkeys that don't do anybody any good. I send rain to places that you don't even pray for rain. I love dumb birds. I made them just that way on purpose. And the behemoth, you got to, I can't get over the behemoth. I was awesome when I made the behemoth. And these and, and there's, there's, there's 20 more I could share. And God is just saying, come on, guys, you got this all wrong. That's not who I am at all. And you see the great lies of all time always have a little bit of truth to them, right? Because God does want us to live a certain way. It is best for us if we live a certain way. He loves us a lot, and he wants the best for us, and he knows there's a way to live free. But, but, but it's not because he's this distant God who demands sacrifice and all this stuff so that, so that he will bless. No, 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 that's not who he is, and they've got it all wrong. And he says, I want to tell you, I want to tell you. So, so we still today... We're still today in Job's era in so many ways. Like, like, like. Let's just take those three pictures. We still, we still, when we talk about a certain kind of person, we wouldn't do it in a setting like this, of course. But when we're not at our best and we talk about a certain kind of person, the the term behemoth is still used, isn't it? You've heard it used. It does. It's not a complimentary term, right? Oh, we, we still, at least, at, at least in my generation, we were still talking about a person who has her head in the sand and who's about as dumb as an ostrich running around with their head stuck in the sand. And we have a term, don't we? we, we, we when we use the term jackass, we're not talking about like a compliment, right? We have a term for a donkey. We still have this... things that are of no value or use. Well, let's put it this way. We're better at loving things that can love us back and provide value back to us, aren't we? Yeah. There's still Job's there in me, I know. There's still Job's there in me. Well, in chapter 42, Job's heard all this, and he's heard more, and you should read it sometime. It's, it's unbelievable. Job's heard all this, and we'll, we'll finish with this last chapter. Job replies to God. He says this. He says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? And then Job says this, he says, surely I, God, surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I'll speak. I'll question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Which is just, 
that last line is just a way for them to say, I, I've changed my mind. Like, like if, if, if this were being said in our day, it's like, like I grew up in church. I, I went to like Bible study or Sunday school class or something. I'd heard things about you. <sighs> now I've met you, and it's different than I thought. It's different than I thought. You're, you're irrationally loving, and I didn't get that. It's not about a strategic kind of thing. You, you just endlessly, generously, irrationally just love and give. That's the kind of person you are. And I don't know why all this is happening to me. I don't have that. You're right. You have more wisdom. I don't have that. But I know now that you're a God who can take care of my children and can take care of my body. I trust you with that because I've met you and I know who you are and I don't have to understand everything. This, this is Job's response. <laughs> and this part, this part won't be on the screen, but I'll just read a little bit because it says, after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Timonite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you've not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourself. My servant Job will pray for you and then I'll accept your prayer. <laughs> so when Job prays for you, I'll forgive you. If I'm Joe, I'd have held out for quite a little while, personally. <laughs> Come visit me at Christmas, guys. I'll see if I'm ready to pray for you. But, but, but Joe's much better than I. He prays right away, and God forgives. and It's great. But I have, I've said all that because I want to read what's typically referred to as, as, as the epilogue of this story. Verse 12 through verse, let's see, through verse 15, if you were reading this in Job's day, it would have been scandalous. It would have been absolutely scandalous what I'm about to read to you. It won't sound it until I explain it to you, but in Job's day, this would have been crazy. It says this, The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. Okay, are you ready? Here's where it gets crazy. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second Keziah, the third, Karen Hapik. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. In Job's day, and this is this is this is incredibly wrong, and 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 uh, thank God we don't live in this era. But in Job's day. Daughters were considered to be an enormous financial liability to a family, and sons were considered to be a cause for enormous financial gain and celebration because here's how it worked. If you had a daughter, you were going to give her away in marriage, and you were going to give a big portion of all of your stuff away to another family, and if you had too many that happened too many times, you, you would not survive. Like, like it's a bad deal. There was all kinds of bad stuff that happened as a result. Baby girls were, were put to death from time to time. There was all kinds. It was, it was just a cause for mourning in many cases. On the other hand, when you had a son, it was a cause for big-time celebration. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going to make it, and we're going to get more. And, this was a, and there would be lavish celebrations and big stuff. So Job here, telling the story at the end of this, 
again says this. He says uh, he had seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter is named Jemima. He's careful to not even name his sons. Yeah, I had some sons. They're fine. Let me tell you about my daughters. They're awesome. The first one I named Jemima. Now this, in Job's day, you named your kids like this serious religious name, like God is great, whatever that would mean, whatever word that would be. You'd name a kid that, right? It's a big deal. Jemima means dove. It's a bird. Job would have been ridiculed endlessly for naming his daughter after a bird. He doesn't care. He's like, have you seen her? She's so awesome. She reminds me of, of a dove. You know how beautiful a dove is when it takes flight? Oh, I just thought of, I, I had to name her Jemima. And people would have looked at Job, yeah, you're a little whacked out, buddy. Right? The next one, he names Keziah, which is cinnamon. Job would say, have you met Keziah? She's a little spicy. Love Keziah. You got to meet her. She is the life of the party. I want her with me all the time. Love this girl. She is awesome. Again, he's lost his mind. He named his third daughter Karen Hapak, which literally means horn of eyeshadow. This is like you're in Walmart, you're having a child, and you're like, ah, she's going to be so beautiful. What do we name her? Let's call her Maybelline, right? <laughs> Job is nuts. He's just, he's throwing caution to the wind, and he's celebrating these three girls in radical, crazy, creative, pizzazz kinds of ways that nobody's ever heard of before, and he's just lost his mind over these three girls. He thinks they're the three most beautiful girls that's ever lived. He says it right here. He's just nuts about them. He can't get enough of them. This would have been shocking enough, but get this. It says, he granted them an inheritance along with her brothers. Well, that's absurd. People would say, you, 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 you're going to give enough away. You don't give your daughters equal inheritance to your sons. Nobody does that. That's of no strategic value at all to your family. That's, well, Job, that's stupid. You could lose it all. You lost it all once. Why are you doing this, this reckless kind of thing now? Because you could lose it all again. Something changed in this man, Right? He got to know a God who it turns out loves him for no reason at all. He just loves him because he loves him. And it changed something in him, see? Now he's just recklessly loving children that have no strategic value to him at all either. And he's crazy in love with them. And he elevates them and promotes them and celebrates them for no reason. Other than just, he's just become the person. He probably has a pet ostrich now. I mean, he could go on and on, right? There's probably behemoths out in the pasture. He's just in love. He's, what happened to this guy? What happened to this guy? Is he met God for real. And it turns out God was better and more loving and more amazing than he ever imagined. 
And after that, and after that, he learned to love for no strategic reason at all. Just became who he was. The reason it's wrecked my life. Got to tell you, pretty easy to love people who do a good job of loving me back. Pretty easy to love people who add value to my life. The more I've gotten to know a Jesus Christ who came and died for me while I was yet a sinner. And I've come to understand that he loves me not because how good or smart or courageous righteous or anything else I was. He just loves me. He loves me with all his heart. I tell you what, when you really meet that God, you start to look at people around you a little different. I'm letting him change my life. And I hope you do too. I hope for you he becomes somebody you get to know so well and you get to understand that you are loved by the maker of the universe, the God who has all understanding and you're loved not for any reason. He's crazy about you because it's who he is. He could not wait for you to be born. He'd been planning your birth for a long, long time. He wants, he wants nothing more than to know you and for you to know him and to spend billions of years with each other. I hope you get to know him because when I finally have started that journey, I'm becoming a different person, a little crazier, a little more pizzazz, and I hope a lot more loving. Father in heaven,